Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello and welcome to Boarding Party. I am Jackie Jennings and I have a pretty crazy fact for you. Just try and believe it, but I don't know if you'll be able to. Most comedians are also geeks. It's true. They're geeks. And on Boarding Party, we're going to talk to some of today's funniest people about their secret and sometimes not so secret genre obsessions. If it's horror, fantasy, sci-fi, comics, anything that falls under that umbrella of making you a big geek, we're going to be talking to funny people about it. And today, our guest is Connor Ratliff. So Connor is, in addition to being my friend, a perform, which is the most important credit, he's a performer at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater on the legendary improv team, The Stepfathers. He's also played Chester on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He was Ted on Search Party. He's been on The Chris Gathard Show many times. And most importantly, for our purposes here today, he's got a long-running show, I believe it's five years, at the UCB called The George Lucas Talk Show, where once a month he hosts a late-night talk show as George Lucas. So I'm going to be talking to Connor about Star Wars, George Lucas, maybe some other stuff. I don't know. We'll see. Connor Ratliff. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited that you're doing this. You're here. Uh, We're going to talk about, I think, number one topic. Well, first, let me ask you, do you consider yourself a nerd slash geek? Um. I think so, but I, I I feel like I'm to the fringe of that. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like there's probably another word. I think there's enough things that I'm not nerdy about. I, I definitely feel like I'm in that's the oh. that's the broad umbrella that I fall under. Like, I I'm thought not, you meant you were, like, the fringe of what is already a fringe. Like, you were geek beyond geek. I don't know. Not, not in a better way. Not in terms of okay. a superior way. Okay. I just feel like— if you put me, if you got a bunch of nerds in a room and mm-hmm. you put me in there with them, I feel like there'd be things where it's like, oh, I don't know what you guys are talking about. And then I would start talking about a thing. And then three of those people would be like, that's what we like too. And we would go off to the side. I feel like I'm a nerd within nerddom. I do know what you mean. I was in prepping for this was thinking about like what other, which we will get to other than Star Wars and George Lucas talk show, mm-hmm. the things I know about you. Yeah. And you're, I'm going to say, aesthetic, which is, I know you, the midnight screenings. Mm-hmm. Would you, is it fair to say you're a Muppets fan? Yes. Yes. Up till, up till the point where Jim Henson uh, perishes. <laughs> where Jim Henson dies. Yeah. Okay. In real life, not, that wasn't, that's not Muppets canon that he appears and then dies. No, yes, yes. Okay. It's, it's more just, I'm, I'm uh, a purist about original voices of Muppet characters and mm. Once you have a replacement voice, I kind of don't acknowledge that as a, for me, it's not Kermit the Frog if it's not Jim Henson doing the voice. When did that stop? When did he die? He died, I want to say late, like 89. I could be wrong about that. It might have been 90, but I think it was around between 89 and 91. I'm blanking on the exact year. So that strikes me as a very limited amount of time that the Muppets. Yeah, it's two decades, basically. 
more or less. 20 wow. years, 20 years of Muppets. Okay. But there's a lot of Muppets during those two decades. All, mm. all you know, you have the Muppet movie trilogy happens during mm-hmm. that. You have the Muppet show. You have all these original things. And then you have a bunch of weird offshoots. And, you know, like the, the Muppet family Christmas is probably the end of the line for me in terms of major Muppet projects. Okay. And then after that, you know, if I see a Frank Oz, uh, like there's a great clip on YouTube of Frank Oz as Cookie Monster with Martha Stewart. You know what me give you if you give me Cookie? What will you give uh, me? Me got nothing to give you, please. Please. Please, Martha. Certain characters that are so defined by an actor that it's yeah. hard to, I don't think the Muppets are like James Bond where just anybody can play the role. Yeah. I, th- I think that like a character like er- Burton Ernie that's Jim Henson and Frank Oz to the point where, you know, like nobody goes and sees like a Beatles tribute concert and says like, those are the Beatles. No matter how good, no matter how good it is, nobody says like, I saw the Beatles. Like, no, you saw some very talented people doing a very good show. I can't put, I can't put my finger on why I don't entirely agree with you on that. It's probably generational. It probably is like, you, some of your earliest Muppet experiences were probably replacement Muppets. Yes. So it doesn't matter as much. You yeah. Know? They were, Whereas I had an awareness that when Jim Henson died, the next time I heard Kermit the Frog, I was like, ooh, like Muppet Christmas Carol, I think it was the next time. And I'm like, it, it sounds close. There was something sticky for you there. It was yeah. like, yeah. It was, okay. it was like if you knew someone and you cared about them and then they were suddenly gone and someone was doing an excellent impression of them, you just have that sense of disconnect of like, you're not. Yeah. 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 I wonder if it's, I mean, we can go back to the list, but I do wonder if it's because I'm thinking of shows where actors have died or just been entirely recast. It's never been addressed. It's, hap- it ha- it's happened in major, mm-hmm. major shows. Yeah. Game of Thrones did it where it was just an entirely different yeah. Dario Naharis. It is weird at first, but then you don't care. I wonder if there's something about knowing that it's not their creation, that it is just yeah. a performance, but with the Muppets, there is something like inherent. And, to, yeah. and it it bothers me, like, like I love Game of Thrones, and it bothered me when they'd switch actors, but yeah. it also depends on the character, because I will accept it for for the characters they've done it with, mm-hmm. in a way that I wouldn't have suddenly, like, uh, uh, Tyrion was a new... Yes. You know, there are just characters where you'd be like, I don't want to watch this anymore, I that's don't, not, yeah. you know... If we need half, to talk about this. If halfway through the first season, Ned Stark started being played by a different actor, you'd just be like, I, I don't, yeah. I don't, this isn't... This isn't cool, man. Can I? Okay, this is, and then I will end this tangent. But last night on a plane home, I watched The Martian. Have you seen The Martian? Yes, I have. Okay. There is a conversation that they are having, an irrelevant conversation. I mean, almost every scene that's not on Mars does not matter, in in my opinion. Yeah. Someone gets a text about Project Elrond. While Sean Bean is in the room, Mm -hmm. who plays, obviously, Boromir in, and- they have this conversation, like, what's Elrond? The Council of Elrond is from Lord of the Rings. It's the meeting where they decide to destroy the one man. I'm going to call something Project Elrond. I would like my code name to be Glorfindel. Okay. I hate every one of you. It blew my mind how bizarre a choice it was. Yeah, because that's not, it's not that kind of movie. No. Like, if that happened on an episode of Arrested Development, it would be an intentional joke. Yes, and well, it would be great. And... But the Martian, I don't remember that scene because I don't remember the Mart. Maybe that's what got it the Golden Globe nomination for best comedy. Or it musical. is. It's funny. Like, I don't remember. I barely remember the scenes that aren't on Mars in that movie. Exactly. And there's a lot of them. 
The thing that I feel like I most closely associate with you and uh, genre is obviously Star Wars and the George Lucas talk show. Yes. Yes. I don't think in 20, well, it's hard to know what what is a Star Wars nerd or what is a Star Wars fan in 2019 because it's, for a while I had a realization that I really don't have, uh, I wouldn't classify myself if someone was like, oh, you're a major Star Wars nerd. I'd be like, I don't think so because really I, I like the Han Solo movies a lot mm. uh, and- I enjoy the new movies that are out, but I've never read a Star Wars novel. I, I, I you know, I don't play the games. There, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's so much in the world of Star Wars that I don't have any connection to. That I really feel like I have a limited sphere of things that I, uh, I like, and it's mm. mostly the movies. I like the movies, you know. Yeah, I mean, which those that's are the sort big of things. like, yeah, that's the reason for it. Whereas I feel like a real Star Wars fan is like immersed in every form of media that they, you know. Yeah. Well, I do feel like it is that sort of um, like fandoms, especially in sci-fi fantasy, can feel exclusive if you're not completely immersed in every form of media. Yeah. And there is a word for it. I'm forgetting a very specific type of fan that can intentionally make you feel like, well, if you haven't read, you know, X, Y, and Z, then eh, yeah, that one-upsmanship. But the George Lucas talk show specifically, just it's a show at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Yes. Where you play George Lucas. I pretend to be George Lucas, retired filmmaker George Lucas. Uh, (laughs) Does he call himself retired? I introduce myself as retired filmmaker George Lucas. Um, I actually have at the beginning of the of the show, if you come see it, uh, there's a bit of audio that was uh, taken from a show, and I don't even think the original audio even aired. Mm-hmm. I hosted an episode when CISO existed. I hosted an episode of the UCB show as George Lucas. Uh, they asked me if I would like host a show in character. That's very funny. So I have a bit of audio of Amy Poehler saying, please welcome retired filmmaker George Lucas. <laughs> and once I got, I, I was given access to this audio, and once I got it, I'm like, I'm playing this every month at the show. Like, no one else will introduce me. It'll just be this snippet of Amy Poehler saying, please welcome retired filmmaker George Lucas. Oh, at what point do you think he retired? Would you say it's like immediately after Empire wrapped? Uh, <laughs> he, <laughs> he was retired. No, he's got a whole trilogy of movies <laughs> after that. Um, no, I mean, I, I started doing the show sort of right around the time that he did. And, you know, like he sold the everything to Disney and he retired. Yeah. And became what he thought was going to be, I think, a consulting Role, even though no one has really consulted with him since. No. And <laughs> no one has consulted with him since. Well, they let him consult a little, I think, on Solo. He contributed a joke to Solo, but I think otherwise he's been pretty well shut out. He it was actually, uh, um, we had John Kasdan was on the show last month mm-hmm. and he told the story, which he's told elsewhere, about how, because, uh, you know, Ron Howard's directing that. And so it's all, it's it was a friendly space for George to c- drop by and take a look. How could it not be? Yeah. That's so upsetting. And there was a scene where um, they're in Lando's, like, cloakroom, like his cape closet. Yes. And Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo, like, grabbed this cloak and he, like, put it back up on the hanger. And apparently George was at the side and he was like, Han wouldn't do that. And they're like, what? And he's like, Han wouldn't hang it back up. He'd throw it on the floor. He just dropped it. He and and so they like went over and they were like, George says that Han shouldn't hang on the hang the cape up again. So Is he that just kind of joke? lets it. 
It's very generous to call that a joke. I think that's a joke. (laughs) And not just a piece of direction. It's a little bit of business. You know what I mean? It's a little fun bit of business. It's a little physical comedy. Uh, It's a little bit of character work because if you think about it, you might not notice it, but if you're watching the movie and you see Han Solo carefully hang up Lando's cape, it doesn't read. That doesn't scan as the character. No, it doesn't. He doesn't care what happens to Lando's capes. Yeah. But I started doing this character really back in college. Um... And uh, I would just do it with my friends. Uh, and it was around the time that, like, Lucas, you know, he, he'd sort of been, Star Wars had gone away for a while. Mm-hmm. And then Lucas started gearing up to make new Star Wars movies by doing the uh, special editions. A lot of the special editions were, you know, nice, you know, let's clean up this little matte line here. Let's fix this effect so it's not so, you know, noticeably uh, of its time. Mm-hmm. Every piece of new content that was in the special editions was uh, not great. Uh, I, I mean, it was there were yeah. things that I was looking at. I was thinking like, oh, I don't, I don't like these new editions. Some of them were a little the silly. I, that's what stuck out to me is the creatures. There were a lot of the things that like beeped and blurped and yes. and and they seemed a little jokey in a way that didn't feel the same to me. Yeah. And rather than getting mad about it, which I think is a default, it's a fan reaction that I don't like a lot, which is that fans getting angry about, like, I always feel like if you're angry about about something that you don't like in Star Wars, unless it's, like, hateful, unless it's something you perceive as, like, hateful sure. or offensive, uh, if it's just that you don't like it aesthetically, I think it's fine to feel that level, of, it's fine to feel passionately about it, uh-huh. but the second it, it goes over in any kind of, like, anger or sorrow— You've invested unwisely. I tend to agree. The line for me is blurry for my, pre- but I, the minute it's like you can't put this down, this argument, yes, and say, but also it's a fun movie and whatever. If you're having fun, then you're not really angry. Like if you're, if yes. you're, if you're like, here's what I think's stupid and I'm making fun of it or something, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's some genuine rage that to me points to, a need to talk to someone uh, yeah. to f- just figure out what it is you're really angry about. Because yeah. it's not a made-up world of aliens that you're angry about. No, it can't be. I think the people who make Last Jedi reaction videos that are really, really suffering. Yes. And there, well, there's a level, too, of like, I think there's a difference between you and I having a conversation where we disagree or one of us feels passionately about what good storytelling is versus someone who put effort into the anger that they feel over blue milk. Yes. You've got to stop. The minute you're involving equipment in your anger, that might be a generally good rule. When there's equipment involved in expressing your anger, you've got to pause. If it's making you feel that badly, yes. I don't believe that it it any longer has anything to do with the the sci-fi thing that you're mad about. No, I think can't. I think it is like you're not happy with where your life is. You need to you need to figure it out. Yeah. There's yes. And really my my 90s experience where I started doing the George Lucas character was really like I realized like we're going to need a coping mechanism because there's some Star Wars movies coming up and if they're like what the the new material in the special editions is like we're going to feel we're going to feel that. So you knew, you sort of I knew. You sort <laughs> you looked I at I 100% knew. You looked at those little CGI creatures in Mos Eisley and you were like this what's coming won't be you it was sort of yes. It wasn't yeah, I because the thing is, if you'd asked me in 1992, 
Mm-hmm. What do I think the new Star Wars are going to be like when they get made, if they get made? I would have been like, they're going to be great. Yeah, ph- phenomenal. And then I would watch like the new Jabba scene or Greedo shooting first or things like that. And I started to realize, oh, if they're made with that, with mm-hmm. if that is the mentality of what's being made, this these movies won't fully be for me. Yeah, we have a problem. There are some problems. And so I started doing a version of George Lucas where like my friends would sort of interview me just conversationally any con- in any context sometimes someone would be like so George what are you and I would talk about oh we're gonna uh, we're just gonna have one actor play all the parts and we can uh, fix it in uh, digitally and I, I actually had this character who was just a, a, a custodian at ILM and he, he was gonna play all the roles in the new Star Wars movie and they would just fix it digitally it was just this guy who was like yeah I'm playing all the parts and he would do Darth Vader and he'd be like ho ho I'm, I'm your father Luke ho ho <laughs> And that, and that was meant to be the breathing. The oh, was him going, oh. <laughs> and so I talk about, yeah, we, we're just going to film him in a, on, a blue, on a green screen, yeah. and then we'll fix it later. We'll you figure know? it out. And can so change I, anything. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. It's all yeah. one, ones and zeros. And, uh, <laughs> you know. And so by the time Phantom Menace came out, you know, there were all these news stories about, like, grown men waiting in line for a month to see the movie. And then, yeah. they, then they come out, and they're just like, my chi- I wasted my childhood, and, you know. And for me, like, I knew when I saw Phantom Menace that at least 50% of the movie didn't work on any level for me. (laughs) But there was a lot of it that I was able to enjoy the parts of it that felt like Star Wars to me. Because there are lots of parts in that first movie, Phantom Menace, that look and feel like Star Wars. They are often then followed by things that feel and look nothing like what I would think of as Star Wars. Mm Mm-hmm. By the time you got to Attack of the Clones, most of those things have been stripped out. I don't find very much in that movie at all. There's not much. That fe- to me, Attack of the Clones still feels like um, it still feels like a like very ambitious syndicated TV show yeah. of that time. Such an uh, such an indictment, but I completely agree. And then, and then by, th- by the third one, I, I don't even think I saw it on the weekend it came out, which was sort of like no. uh, I realized, oh, I've 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 disinvested from a lot of this. Yeah. But I never got mad about it because to me, like George Lucas had already more than made enough things in my lifetime that gave me so much pleasure that the idea that I would ever be angry because he then made other ones that weren't satisfying to me. It's just like, well, those ones weren't satisfying to me, but he'd already... You could give you could give him sort of a special dispensation because he'd so satisfied you with other films of his that he has a lifetime pass. Would you say? Yeah, and I I think that's true. That's generally my philosophy for a lot of artists, which is like yeah. I'm amazed how people get so angry when an artist starts to let them down, especially when it's just they're they're still trying. Like I don't think there's any lack of effort in the Star Wars prequels. They're just they just yeah. don't land for me. The issue that I would take with the prequels is. They and I've I've said this before. I don't think it's like a stunning uh, observation, but they feel like what happens when someone isn't told no. It feels like unchecked sort of. I don't even want to say creative freedom, just freedom. It is. It's a yeah. I agree completely. I think it's a cautionary tale. The interesting thing is, so so I started doing the George Lucas talk show a few years ago, and I think my, I think it's been the I I think me doing the George Lucas character has been such a healthy way of processing both my admiration for him Mm -hmm. and the things that he's done that have been uh, unsatisfying. So let me, I do want to ask like what, when you are doing George Lucas, when you came up with the idea for the show, how much of it um, is admiration? How much of it is 
whatever the opposite of admiration is but isn't dislike, is it uh, is it because you're a fan? Is it because you find so much about him to be sort of silly and uh, over the top? Or is it both? It's both, but if I had to pick one, it's more admiration than mm-hmm. anything else, anything negative because if I think of the people that I truly have a negative opinion of mm-hmm. – I don't think I would be doing the show because I think it, I think I would do like three shows and then be like, okay, we've done this. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel good or fun. Yeah. I think part of the reason – one thing is that it's, it's inherently funny to me the idea that George Lucas would host a talk show because, you know, notoriously, you know, he's a behind-the-scenes guy. This is not a guy – uh, if you look up – there's a YouTube video I looked up recently. It, it was if you look up George Lucas' inspirational speech – there's like him giving a speech and it's just like the guy's not a speaker, you know, like no. he's so he's up and he's like, well, we need the power of storytelling. is, And you're just like, I don't really do like I mean, you've been on the show like yeah. the first 10 seconds I'm doing a sort of a hard impression of him. You know, I'll, I'll come out, I'll, I'll run out into the theater, I'll high five the audience and then I'll yeah. get on stage and then I'll take a long B and then say, well, I'm George Lucas, creator of Star Wars. <laughs> and it's such like an anticlimactic way of starting the show. And. Oftentimes, a few minutes into the show, I will no longer even be doing the voice. I'll be kind of leaning into it every now and then, in part because it's not like it's not a it's not a performative voice. You know, he's not a performer in that way. Yeah. Um, so there was something funny about that. The other thing that I thought was that there's sort of a I like to have a um, fail safe sort of for if. Sometimes the show's going well because I'm doing a good job hosting a comedy talk show and I'm doing a good job of sort of balancing the conversation and and making sure everyone's getting a chance to talk. And, and we should say you have on real guests. Yes, real guests. They're not characters. You and have yeah. mostly not Star Wars related guests. Yeah. The ideal guest in some ways is a person who has nothing no connection to Star Wars and I will find a way of relating to them as George Lucas um in a way that makes it that I I will I will find the link to Lucas. Yeah. Because six there, degrees there almost always is one, you know, that like uh, I, we did a show in L.A. a couple of years ago and I uh, convinced Amy Mann to come on the show because I'm a huge Amy oh, Mann yeah. fan. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing that poster and you're like, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. And she was reluctant because she kept saying to me, like, I don't. I don't know anything about Star Wars. I'd be a terrible guest. And I'll be like, don't you worry about that. You just Amen. need to be yourself. Just show up. The show started and she came out up front. She sort of outed herself and said, like, I shouldn't be here. I don't know anything about Star Wars. I've never seen a Star Wars movie. And I said, have you ever seen American Graffiti? And she goes, oh, yeah, I love that movie. I'm like, great. Let's talk about that. Yeah, George <laughs> and, Lucas. Wonderful. And, and then I was, like, talking about things like um, how we were both Oscar losers. We'd both been nominated for Oscars and lost. Oh, she for him, song. Him for Star Wars, her for Save Me from Magnolia. Yes, she lost yes, to yes, Phil yes. Collins for Tarzan. Wow, that's a real moment in time. And so, like, I'm bringing up as Lucas, I'm like, of course, I won a Thalberg, but that doesn't, that's just an honorary Oscar, you know? And then I was also bringing up the fact that, like, we both had the same, um, we both pulled away from, like, the studio. I pulled away from the studio system the same way that she pulled away from the major record labels and started her own thing. Great. So, we were talking about, like, there were so many connections. Yeah. Uh, for things to talk about that were just purely, and so I'm always looking for like, what is that connection? You know, the more surprising, the better. Like, 
I kept doing that same thing. Ira Glass was on the show and I kept saying, you and I are basically the same. We've done all the same jobs. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, we both worked in public radio. And he was like, what are you? And I'm like, remember when uh, NPR did the uh, Star Wars radio dramas? And he was like, oh yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I kept bringing up like different things I mean, that tracks to me. That doesn't seem insane that no. Ira Glass and George Lucas would be pretty similar. Yeah, these are, you know, but I do think, like, one of the things that fascinates me about Lucas as a comedic character yeah, is that he's so, he's one of the most successful people of all time. He's, yes. But he's also kind of known for all these huge failures. Yes. And a lot of those failures are also tremendously successful by a lot of metrics. They're still, yeah. It, like it, Howard the Duck is one of the most notorious bombs of all time. It's also the first Marvel movie. Yeah, and it's beloved. People love that yeah. movie. And Ironically, but they love it. Yeah, it's become the cult classic that he said uh, it would be. And there's an interesting thing to me, which is that like, as I've done the show, because I probably, if you if you go back and find like the first couple of shows we did, some of those are on YouTube, mm -hmm. I think I have a slightly more cynical take on Lucas at that point because I'm sort of going for the easier jokes of him being proud of everything he's done and yeah. some of those things not being great. Is he is he like notoriously proud? I don't. It feels like it. I don't know how much of that is it. But yeah. it seems like he does. I don't he's see him. He's never apologized for Attack of the Clones. He's never said that wasn't. That was a stinker. He's Sorry, not like guys. one of those filmmakers who you hear him badmouthing his past work. I think it's yeah. just a trait that he's like, you know, he either doesn't talk about them or yeah. uh, he says nice things about things that he's done. Mm -hmm. What I came to realize, and partly it's because as the character, you know, a lot of times guests will come on and they'll want to be combative and kind of call me on like, you did this and it wasn't good. And so I've gotten a lot of experience now defending, defending Lucas from any sort of criticism you know, like once, you know, one of the common things that happens that's such an easy joke, and I, I, I don't plan for it, but it just happens a lot, was I'll ask a guest what their favorite Star Wars movie is, and they'll say the first one, and I'll immediately say like, oh, Phantom Menace, thank you very much. <laughs> you know, that you can always play with. If they say the fourth one, then one. I can say, oh, Phantom Menace, the fourth one we made, yeah. thank you very much. You know, it can the, always be the Phantom Menace. Yeah. Okay, before we dive any deeper, before we go any further, we have to take a quick break. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Here's another thing, and this goes to what you are saying before about people saying no, mm -hmm. which is Lucas's early career is he makes American Graffiti. Mm -hmm. The head of Universal hates the movie. It's it's finished. It's finished. It's the movie that we know as American Graffiti. The head of Universal, for some reason, takes a dislike to this movie. Even when they start doing test screenings where the audience loves the movie. He hates it. He hates it. It gets to the point where Francis Ford Coppola has to bluff with a checkbook saying, I will buy this movie from you right now for him to finally agree to release in a theatrical release because he was just going to dump it. He wanted to dump it and have it be a TV, like, Sunday night movie. It feels personal. Yeah. And... From Lucas's point of view, he's like, I have made a perfect movie. And one executive 
who is uh, has terrible taste, yeah, is in the way of it. Then he makes Star Wars, and you know he gets resistance for that. People who are like, "We don't get this. We don't know what you're doing." There's you know, and Lucas starts, I think, thinking, "I need to get myself into a position where I don't have executives telling me no when I have good ideas." Which is, it is smart. It's yes. smart. And he does it. He does a thing that most people have never been able to accomplish, which is he gets himself into a position where he can effectively green light his own yeah. stuff. The problem is you have people, if you read about the making of those first couple of Star Wars movies, you have like Gary Kurtz, I think, was a guy who was like, you know, they're making A New Hope. They're making Empire Strikes Back. And there were people who were like, George, this isn't good or I don't like this. You know, and the, famously in Empire Strikes Back, there was like – uh, the I love you, I know scene. Mm-hmm. Lucas was like, uh, it should just be I love you, I love you too. I love you. I know. And everyone else was like, no, it's better. They came up with this when they were filming it yeah. on, on set. It's much better. It's spontaneous. And yeah. Lucas was like, it's going to get a laugh. And everyone's like, yeah. Uh-huh. It's going to get a laugh and be one of the greatest moments in all of Star Wars. Yeah. And by the time you get to Return of the Jedi, a lot of the... A lot of the people who would push back against stuff are no longer. They're gone. Yeah. I think Marsha Lucas, his first wife, was, I think, another person who was like, would sort of push back on certain ideas. And by the time you get to Jedi, they're no longer together. I think it gets hard. Um, I think you see this with certain certain major figures in comedy that um, they have a couple of big hit movies and then suddenly their next movies aren't as good. And you think it's. Oh, they're, are they getting, everyone in the room is laughing at everything they do, so they don't Always. even have honest, uh, like, testing ground for. And I think there's a, um, there's a difference between being told no and having creative feedback because you want to stay sharp and you recognize that if you surround yourself constantly, if the only people in the room when you're running your new set are your agents, you're never going to get actual feedback yeah and I feel like maybe so it's not so much saying no but it is that there are other creative voices including the actors who you are simply not listening to because you are single-minded in your vision yeah it almost never yeah it's I a think tricky thing because are a good example it's a tricky thing because it, it it could be a coincidence but I don't think it is that his best work happens in a in a period before he has complete control Mm-hmm. And then there's a drop-off after that. If you had to rank each movie, including Rogue One mm-hmm. and uh, Solo, yeah, colon, A Star Wars Story, yeah, wh- rank them. Okay, yeah, I've done this. Best um, to worst. Uh, let me think. Let me think and make sure I'm doing this right. So number one would be Empire. That's a obvious, okay. uh, obvious pick, I think. Well, That's almost always the favorite. Um, my number one is Rogue One. But, Rogue One? Yeah. I, I rank Rogue One pretty high. Well, we'll find out. Um, let me see, because I, I think I did this recently, and oh. um, and I want to be consistent, because I, I gave it some thought, and I think— Well, um, it's okay if you, cha- if you change your mind. It can be fluid. Uh, you're going to disagree with some of this. Um, <laughs> so I go with Empire, uh-huh. then A New Hope, uh-huh. and then Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Then I have uh, Return of the Jedi, Rogue One, Solo— Okay. Last Jedi. Sure. Ewoks, the battle for Endor. Oh. <laughs> no, no. Ewoks, Caravan of Courage. I didn't, that wasn't what Ewoks, the battle for Endor. These are the two TV movies that were made in the 80s featuring the Ewoks. Don't miss the Ewok adventure. Now on video cassette from MGM UA Home Video. 
Okay. They were released theatrically in Europe. <laughs> Not even in the U.S.? No. So, like, in Germany, they were watching? Literally, if you—and I recommend people buy the Ewok movies on DVD as soon as you can, because I've recently realized as that you soon can— As soon as—why as soon as you can? Because we live Why in— Why is there a panic? We live in an age where <laughs> movies can disappear from streaming. I mean, these aren't even movies that are available on streaming, but movies no. become unavailable, and then if you don't have physical media, you might— you know, not be able to find them. I support them. that, actually. They literally, I ordered these on DVD. Uh, they're on part of MGM's, like, DVD on demand service or whatever. And they came with a sticker that says, the Star Wars movies they don't want you to see. <laughs> um, not, the, not the bad ones that they released everywhere. It's the little Ewok movies. So Caravan of Courage, The Battle for Andor. Okay. Phantom Menace. <laughs> they're better than Phantom. Yes. <laughs> Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clones. Wow. And I, I reversed those last two, actually, because sometimes I put Revenge of the Sith last because I feel like it's so overrated. Really? Yeah. Okay, so I, I think Revenge of the Sith is very bad. However. It's terrible. The last 15 minutes, and I am including the, the battle. No? Including the no? I'm including, no. yeah. I have the high ground. I'm including all of that. But when he fucking puts that mask on and is Darth Vader, I still get chills. I generally agree with your rankings. You know, I I also am not a huge fan of um, the new films, but I put Rogue One much higher, I think, than you would, and I would put Solo much lower than you did. Well, I really the, didn't enjoy Solo. Here's the thing. Until you get to the Ewok movies, there's not a tremendous drop-off in terms of all of those first rankings. I wouldn't be terribly angry if someone mixed them around a little because— sure. Until you get to the Ewok movies, I don't consider there to be a big drop-off in quality. Okay. They're all competing at the same level. There's a big drop when you get to the Ewok movies, even though they're fun. These are basically children's movies made for NBC. Yeah. Uh, I then consider there to be a, another big drop before you get to The Phantom Menace, and then another significant drop from The Phantom Menace down to Attack of the Clones and Return, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Um, I include the Ewok movies there largely as a way of, of a demarcating point of like— not only are, do I not like the prequels, there are actually two Star Wars movies no one even thinks about that I like better than the prequels. You really want those movies to understand yes. yeah, how far down this list they are. You're padding the top of the list. Because I don't think yes. it's fair to say, if you're doing a ranking where you go like, you know, Return of the Jedi and then Phantom Menace, you're like, no, no, there's a little bit of travel yeah. time if you want to get from one to the other. You yeah. Know? I Okay. I, I, I agree with that. I think generally we're on the same page. Yeah. Okay. We're going to pause. Right here, take a quick moment because we are going to play you and I, Connor, a little game called Is This a Sci Fi? So, this is a segment where I'm going to list a bunch of properties, franchises, films, TV shows, and you decide whether or not it qualifies as a sci fi. What does that mean? I don't know. We're going to figure it out. So, let's play Is This a Sci Fi? So the first one is Mary Poppins. Interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. the first, not the second, the not first the Emily one, Blunt. not the returns, not the returns, not return of the Mary Poppins. Um, it definitely counts as fantasy. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think in terms of the pure science of it. I, I think it, I, I would tend to think first of it being fantasy, but I'm trying to think what kind of gear she uses at any point. She's got the umbrella, mm-hmm. medicine, her her sort of trick medicine, medicine. There's the chalk. Mm-hmm. The chalk where she 
can transport into another world. It's still, I, I don't think I see the science in it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think my my impulse would be to say, no, I would. it definitely falls within sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. But it's closer to fantasy to me than sci-fi. Okay. How about in honor of, we'll do all, I want to do all the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't think, I don't think I mark any of, any of the Indiana Jones movies as None. science fiction. Crystal Skull being the closest because they're aliens, but it still doesn't feel like, for me, it feels like science fiction needs to have an element that's like technological. I agree. Or speculative in some way. I mean, like speculative fiction where, yeah, there's no what if, really. Or or it's just one of those things where like, I mean, even Star Wars, if it, you know, it's got so much hardware in it that it feels like science fiction. Yes. I. But he, like Lucas will always kind of classify it as like, it's space opera. There's not really, like compared to Star Trek, which is definitely science fiction, mm-hmm. Star Wars is much more like, we have a ship and it goes super fast. It's, it's, it's much more of like a child's version of science fiction. And when they do try to get science fiction-y, it's when it tends to stumble. Like midi-chlorians would be like one example of them yeah. getting really trying to make a sci-fi move. I know and, it, going. and it not wearing that well. People liked it more when it was sort of like space religion and mumbo jumbo. Yeah. You know? I like that. That's one of my favorite parts of Rogue One is that it fleshes out. There's more world building. It fleshes out Rogue, exactly what. Yes. I, yeah. I, I, I love that Rogue One is about uh, essentially about a file transfer. Of, an, it's it's an about upload. data transfer. It's so good. Uh, it's one of the things I like about Last Jedi is that it is essentially about working uh, from home. <laughs> It's about it's about telecommuting. Wait, I'm really. Uh, it's spoiler alert, but like the whole ending is just about like, what if you could work from home? Are you talking about Obi Wan? I'm talking about Luke uh, at the end oh, when he, he. I was like, they're dead. They're not telecommuting. He's in his home office. He's in his home. <laughs> the big twist that it's like, you didn't drive here. No, I'm at home. <laughs> no, this is a great connection. Oh, the Last Jedi. Yes. I'm thinking of Return of the Jedi. The no. Last Jedi, yeah, is oh, I see, is Luke, yeah. yeah. Well, because just coming, kidding, this is a Google hang. Coming, Got it. Coming a year after Rogue One, it really felt like they really are tying in modern technology things into this world because Rogue One was very much like we just got to get these files. Yeah. They're taking forever. The and download, like, the satellites a, fucked. A, I don't know. It's a Dropbox adventure. Yeah, and <laughs> sponsored by Dropbox. Yeah. and Last Jedi is like. The same thing, which is just like I skyped, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So okay, how Luke's, about Luke Skypewalker? Oh no! But <laughs> considering that I just thought of that, that's it's pretty fine. good. Yeah, it's yeah. And how about I have Muppets Take Manhattan, but I guess any of the Muppets films. Do you feel that talking Muppet puppets are are in any way fantasy or science fiction? No, I don't think they are. Um, unless they're specifically doing genre like Pigs in Space or something Mm -hmm. like that. I don't even consider those fantasy films because I feel like the reality of that world, it's our world and these are characters. And I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. they're they're fantastical in the sense of Muppets, but I don't, I feel like they play it so real Mm -hmm. that it's not like you're watching like Lord of the Rings or something where you're seeing a whole different world. You're seeing our world with these Muppet characters. There's just one thing different, which is that people don't act like which was actually kind of one of the weird things when they tried to reboot the Muppets is they started referring to themselves and each other as Muppets. They became conscious of the whereas, fact that they're Muppets. Yeah, whereas in the Henson years, it was always just like, you're a pig, you're a frog. Yeah. You know, and people just dealt with the fact that you were a talking pig and that was weird. Yeah. You know? 
No, I don't. I don't consider no. the Muppets sci-fi or fantasy unless they are doing sci-fi fantasy. Okay, unless they venture into that genre. Well, that is all the time we have. They're throwing us out of the studio. We have to go. I want to thank Connor so much for being here and really encourage everybody listening. Go see the George Lucas talk show. It's one of my favorite comedy shows in New York. And there's always amazing guests. Go see the stepfathers too. go see Connor in his many, many pursuits. And hey, if you liked what you listened to, we've got a bunch more amazing guests coming up. So subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, be it your iTunes, be it your Spotify, be it the dark web, wherever you get your podcasts from, please review, rate, do all of the things that help us keep doing this. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.